Good morning. We've been uh, talking about the kingdom of God, haven't we? The kingdom of God. And it occurred to me uh, this week that uh, I'm not really interested in this being kind of a dead-end street here, that it just stops here in this room. What we're learning about the kingdom is so good that it needs to get out. And my plan, you know what my plan is for that? It's you. <laughs> it's you. And, and I want to encourage you, you know, there's different kinds of listening. And I want to encourage you to listen this morning in order that you can teach others what you're learning about the kingdom of God. Can you do that? And so you go to your workplace this week, and on break, you know, or at lunch, you're sitting with your coworker there, and you say, hey, I don't know what you guys are learning about in your church, but we're learning about the kingdom of God in our church. Have you ever studied that much? And just share with them what you're learning. Or if you're a father, teach what we're learning to your children, if you're a dad. Teach your sons and your daughters that there is a king, there is a righteous and holy and loving king who's forming a royal family for himself. They need to hear that from their parents and especially from you fathers. And so towards that end, let me pray for us and then we'll dive in, okay? Lord God, we thank you that you are a king. You're a king and you reign. And We've worshiped you for that this morning. And I pray that you would open our eyes a little bit more today to what it means to live in the kingdom of God. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, and you can take the, uh, the study guide out of your worship folder so you can follow along with us as we talk about the kingdom of God today. And to illustrate where I want to go today, I thought about the vacation that our family took last summer, and I've shared a little bit about this, but we were able to take the great Grand Canyon family vacation together. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Okay. Would, those of you who have been, would you agree with me that it's one of those things that you have to experience for yourself? I mean, you can kind of try to describe it to someone else, you know, how, how magnificent it is, but you just kind of have to go and experience that for yourself. And so when we were there, I figured it would probably be years or maybe even decades before we would be able to go back again. So I decided to just go for it and spend a boatload of money while we were there to help our family, family just get the full experience of what it was like. And so I decided it was worth it to sign up for the expensive rafting trip down on the Colorado River that kind of snakes through the canyon there, and to sign up for the very expensive helicopter ride that takes you up in the air so you can hover over the canyon and see the view from way up high. So we got a little bit of family uh, video footage, okay? So take a look up on the side screens. So here's the family heading out in the helicopter, in the chopper, to see the canyon from way up high above. And uh, I think there were five or six people in the helicopter, and once it crested the rise there, a lady went, woohoo, as they, you know, she's out over the vast expanse of the canyon, and it was uh, just an incredible view. And then, here's some footage from uh, the rafting trip down below on the Colorado River, which is a beautiful emerald green and really cold, and we did dive in and, and enjoyed that. It took us a few hours to recover from that experience, but... From down there, we could see these sheer high walls rising up on either side of us, and it was just really a lot of fun. And I think that seeing the Grand Canyon from both of those vantage points, down on the ground and up in the air, allowed us to get the full experience of what it was like to do the Grand Canyon adventure together. And so you're thinking, what does this have to do, if anything, with the kingdom of God? <laughs> well, it really does. So... I've come to believe that there is another site that needs to be viewed from those same two perspectives, okay? Above, high above, and down below, if you're going to get the full experience of it and really fully appreciate how magnificent it is. And what I'm talking about 
is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to ask you to follow me real closely this morning, okay? Because this sermon is one of those where I'm just kind of working out for myself how some things fit together. So, so stay with me. And if you're new to New Life, and I know we have some of you here today who are guests with us, and uh, we're, we're really glad that you're here worshiping the Lord with us. And we want you to know, if you're a guest, that we are a church that's seeking to be about the gospel of Jesus Christ, this God-man, Jesus, and the message that he came to offer. We're trying to keep that front and center, right, New Life? Front and center in the life of this church, and not veer to the right or to the left, but keep that as the centerpiece of who we are as a church, and that's the gospel. And you might ask, well, what is the gospel? Well, in a nutshell, the gospel is the person and work of Jesus, right? Especially his saving work. And we're learning how that message affects everything. And there's, there's three areas in particular that we've been focusing on around here. We've, we're talking about how the gospel affects our identity. And it shapes and molds how we view ourselves. And that's such a crucial issue with new lifers these days. Our identity in Christ and just grasping that. And the gospel shapes our identity. It also shapes our community, our family, how we relate to one, one another in the body of Christ. And the gospel molds and shapes our mission in the world, what God has called us to be and to do in the world. And that's the gospel of Christ. Now, I'm getting clear about one particular aspect of this glorious message called the gospel, and I, I've come to believe there's an entire dimension of the gospel that I haven't presented real clearly to you in my teaching over the past couple of years, but I intend to remedy that beginning today. What we're talking about in this series, the kingdom of God is known in the scriptures as the gospel. Listen to these scriptures, Matthew 4, 23, and Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming what? The gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Mark 9, or Matthew 9 says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming, there it is again, the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Mark 1, 14, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, so repent and believe in the gospel. So there again, the kingdom and the gospel are connected. Luke 4, he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Do you see a theme here? Luke 8, 1. Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Even after he rose from the dead, this was his message. As it says in Acts 1-3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about what? The kingdom of God. Now, I've known for years, probably decades, that the principal subject of Jesus Christ's teaching when he was here was the kingdom of God. He, he was always talking about the kingdom, what it is, what it's not, where it's from, who's in it, who's not in it, how to get in it. But the more recent dawning realization or awakening for me has been that when Jesus came announcing the kingdom of God has come, he called it the gospel. 
the gospel of the kingdom. So about six months ago, I was having lunch with a pastor friend of mine, and uh, we were talking about things that pastors talk about. We were talking shop, I guess you could call it, you know, church and discipleship and the gospel and Jesus and such. And in the course of the conversation, he mentioned that he'd been reading a lot in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John over the past few years and really diving into uh, that portion of the New Testament. And, And through that, he had a new appreciation for Jesus' gospel of the kingdom. Well, we talked some more, and I explained that, that for me, I'd been immersed in Paul's writings, Paul's epistles during that same time, time period, and I was enjoying going deeper in the gospel of the cross and the empty tomb. And we talked a little bit more, and he looked at me, and he said, you know, I, I get frustrated with guys who say that they're all about the gospel of Jesus, but never, ever talk about the kingdom of God. He said, I think they're missing a full understanding of what the gospel is, and I had to admit that I'd been camped out in Paul's epistles and hadn't spent that much time in recent years reading in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so his comment to me created a kind of unrest in my spirit, kind of a dissonance in my soul that I couldn't shake. And I had this thought, so Steve, you're not really crystal clear on this, are you? You're all about the gospel of salvation through the cross and through the empty tomb, but it's also true that Jesus talked about the gospel of the kingdom. So, are those two different Gospels? Do you believe in one Gospel or two? And that kind of set me out on a course to get out of the haze and get clearer on what I believe about the Gospel, especially how the kingdom and the cross fit together. And so I started reading through Matthew and Mark and Luke and John over and over again, and I ordered a bunch of books on this and started reading them. I devoted my whole summer study break this past summer to to getting clear on this and studying this. I got a mentor in my life to teach me about the gospel of the kingdom. And most importantly, I started to pray and and ask God and say, God, show me the, the full scope of your gospel message so that I get it and so that I teach it accurately to the people of new life. So really, this series is is the fruit of all of that. And I've reached some conclusions that have been very clarifying for me and I hope will help you think about this as well. I've concluded that there's only one gospel presented in the pages of the Bible. I believe in one gospel, not two. A second conclusion is that Jesus and Paul were not at odds with each other. Jesus' teachings about the gospel and Paul's teachings about the gospel are not pitted against each other. Um, the only time Jesus and Paul were ever in a conflict, who won? Yeah, Paul was on his can, you know, laying on the ground. Jesus prevailed. <laughs> so I don't believe Jesus and Paul are pitted against each other. In fact, Paul spoke and wrote often about the kingdom of God, if you read his epistles. And Jesus spoke a lot about the need for salvation and about his sacrifice that was coming and the offer of grace. I've concluded that the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of salvation through the cross and the empty tomb are not two different gospels, but rather two different perspectives on the same gospel. These two perspectives can be understood as two distinct but related aspects of the person and work of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question. Is Jesus Christ Savior or King? (laughs) The answer is yes, right? He's both. Two perspectives on the same person, Savior and King. Is Jesus Christ rescuer from our sin or ruler? 
He's both. Jesus came both to redeem and he came to reign. Two perspectives on the one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his work. And so another way to understand these two perspectives is to see them as two vantage points from which to see the person and work of Jesus Christ in the air and on the ground. Think Grand Canyon, okay? One amazing scene or sight viewed from two different perspectives to get the whole picture, the full experience of it. You understand what I'm saying? I'm going to have to check in with you a few times this morning. So if you get what I'm saying so far, just nod your head like this. If you think, that guy's nuts, just do this. Okay. Stay with me. This is so good. The gospel on the ground and the gospel in the air, one gospel viewed from two different vantage points to get the full experience. Some guys I respect named Matt Chandler and Jared Wilson, Jared who was here actually about a year ago, wrote a book recently called The Explicit Gospel, which I'm recommending to you today. It's out at our resource table. And they explain these two perspectives in detail, and I want us to try to understand this, okay? So first, let's make our way down to the floor of the Gospel Canyon. We won't take those burrows, though, okay, on that little narrow passageway that just made me shudder when I saw it. Let's go down to the canyon floor and be amazed as we look around at the gospel from down on the ground. Let me talk about gospel on the ground. When I talk about the gospel from that vantage point, I'm talking about the gospel of personal salvation. Now, how many of you would say to me, Steve, I believe I'm saved today. I'm a saved person. Could I see your hands? Okay. Many, many, many of us. Well, when we talk about being saved as an individual, we're talking about seeing the gospel on the ground, the gospel of personal salvation. This is where we see that Jesus died and rose again to redeem me and to redeem you, us, as individuals. This is the vantage point from down on the ground where we see Jesus' sacrifice as saving us from our sins, delivering us from eternal death, rescuing us from the wrath of God in judgment, and giving us eternal life so that we can live with Him forever. The gospel on the ground is seeing Jesus and his work on the cross through the zoom lens, okay, focusing in on what he did for us. And so when you hear a preacher like me stand up and say, Jesus Christ came to this earth and he lived the perfect obedient life that you could never live and then he submitted to execution and died on an old rugged cross and was crushed and bled and died for your sins. And then he rose from the grave victoriously to show that God the Father was satisfied with that payment. And if you will repent of your sins and believe in that good news and entrust your life to Jesus Christ and him alone, you will be saved. When you hear that message, you're hearing from a preacher whose vantage point is the gospel on the ground. God's mercy and grace applied to individuals right at our point of need. I love the gospel on the ground, don't you? I'm saved as a result of believing that message. It's wonderful. But you know what? The Bible also beckons us to climb into the heavenly helicopter and go soaring high above to see the work of Jesus from that vantage point, and that's the gospel in the air, and that's a whole nother view. 
You say, what in the world are you talking about? The gospel in the air. Well, this is the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus called it, the gospel of the kingdom. From that vantage point, from high up above, we can see clearly the the vast expanse and the grandeur of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Looking out, we see that the scope of Jesus' atoning work was not just personal, but also cosmic. He's not just saving me, he's saving all of creation and all through the cross. It's from high above with the rotor spinning above our head, looking down, that we can, we can look around and see the, the whole panorama, like we did last weekend, of the work of the king in establishing his kingdom, that story that we immersed ourselves in last weekend. We see that Jesus died and rose again to secure for himself a redeemed people, God's people living in God's place under God's gracious rule. Remember that? The kingdom of God. Now, we're going to live in a specially prepared place called the new heavens and the new earth. And the gospel in the air tells us that all of creation will be reconciled to God one day and restored to its original design and that all things will be brought into subjection to King Jesus, right? Under his, what does it say? Feet. And so Jesus gave his life to guarantee the fulfillment of of all of those desires and promises of God. So this is the cross viewed through not the zoom lens, but the wide angle lens, or the view from way up high in the air. This too is the gospel. Do you see this? One gospel, two perspectives from the ground and from the air. Still with me on this? Okay. So down on the ground... I am in awe that God cares about me and that through Jesus' cross and empty tomb, he made a way for me to be saved. Amen? But up in the air, I'm blown away by the the scope and the grandeur of the cosmic plan to bring all things under the kingship of Jesus who's going to remake the whole universe into a new heaven and a new earth. Both of these perspectives on the gospel appear in the Bible. But it's really cool. In several key passages, we see them together, like side by side. And I want us to see a couple of these. For an example, look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And I'm going to ask you, which is Paul on the ground or in the air here? Okay, so let me start reading Colossians 1, verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So what's this telling us? Jesus created all things. He's the creator. Jesus is. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know who's holding everything together? Jesus Christ. So it doesn't spin wildly out of control. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, listen now, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Which vantage point is this, on the ground or in the air? Paul's way up in the air, isn't he? He's looking at all things being reconciled to King Jesus through the cross. But then look at the next verse, 21, and you. 
Don't you love that? Drawing it right back down to the earth. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in your mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now where are we? Now we're down on the ground. Paul moves very quickly and easily from all things being reconciled to Jesus to you and to me. You see that? One more example is found in Romans chapter 8. Again, side by side, gospel in the air, gospel on the ground. Here's what he wrote there. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. What's he saying? You might be having a difficult time of it right now, but just wait. Just wait. Awesome days are coming. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. He's saying that creation is under a curse, the curse of sin since the days of Adam and Eve, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What perspective do we have here? He's up in the air, isn't he? He says all of creation has been groaning since the inception of sin. He says creation waits with eager longing for the day when God will make all things new and creation will be released from the curse of sin. Man, he's up in the air. He's talking about big cosmic realities, isn't he? You know, I think that things, this is my opinion, things like earthquakes, natural disasters are, are, are part of creation groaning under the weight of the curse of sin. And God promised one day he's going to make all things new. He's going to release creation from, from that curse. And it's going to be glorious. But that's another sermon for another day another series. The point here is that God intends to remake all things with a view towards restoring them to their original state. But then look at what comes next, verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Do you see it? All of creation is groaning, but so am I. I'm longing for my own personal salvation to be completed. So now we're down on the ground, aren't we? Seeing things from that vantage point, zooming in on how God's plan of redemption applies to you and to me. You see, God's promises of renewal and restoration apply not only to the whole earth, but also to me and to you. You see this? Thank God for his marvelous gospel plan. It's beautiful. It guarantees the transformation of the whole planet, and it guarantees my transformation and yours. You're going to get a new body one day. <laughs> That's where some people say, praise Jesus. You know? <laughs> 
It's, it's, it's decaying, it's wearing down, just like the earth, just like the planet is. But God's going to remake all of that one day, and it's secured and guaranteed by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his victorious resurrection out of the empty tomb. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. A twofold guarantee. The gospel in the air and the gospel on the ground. A couple more conclusions I've come to. We need to appreciate both. Both perspectives in our understanding of the gospel. And my final conclusion is, I'm never going to get all this figured out. (laughs) It's never going to fit into my nice, neat little system that I want it to fit into. And that is so frustrating to me because I'm all about systems and bullet points and packaging it and and God's saying, forget it. (laughs) My gospel is too wonderful. It's too glorious. I'm going to spend all of eternity, and so are you if you're in Christ, marveling at new dimensions and new aspects of this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's a beautiful thing. And so the question I want to answer in our remaining time this morning is this. Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago announcing the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is here. It's arrived. It's here, he was saying, because I'm here and I'm the king. And he said, it's good news. And my question is, why? How so? How is it that the arrival of the kingdom of God is good news for us? And I want to suggest four reasons this morning. And I'll start by saying the kingdom of God and its arrival in the person of Jesus is good news because, first of all, it means this, life with the king is now available to all. That's like where you should say, like, amen, or glory, or hallelujah, or the 9 a.m. crowd this morning, it was like, hmm, (laughs) that was their hallelujah, I guess, you know, but it's like, the kingdom of God is here, that means life with God is available to everyone, that's kingdom life, life with the king, that's eternal life, life with God is set before us now, amen, amen. Awesome. Jesus himself said it in his prayer in John 17. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. That's life in the kingdom. And it's available to all. You see, kingdom life is life with God. A life of knowing the king. A life in relationship with the king. You know how we say Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship that's kingdom life life with the king but think about this the king is holy so that kind of life with the king is only possible for sinful people because king jesus came and suffered for us in our place removing that barrier of sin so that we could be with god and actually dwell with him forever you know in john 10 10 jesus said it i came that you might have life and have it more abundantly And in John 14, he said, I am the life, the way, the truth, the life. I'm life, is what he said. I'm like, you want life? You need me. That's what Jesus was saying. So why is the arrival of the kingdom good news for us? Because the truly good life, life with the king, is now available to all who will repent of their sin and believe this good news. But that's not all. Second, The the arrival of the kingdom of God and its its announcement is good news to us because, number two, life in the royal family is now offered to all. 
Amen? Not only life with God, but life in God's family, which I like to call these days a royal family. Is Ephesians 2.19 on your outline there? Let's read this out loud together, okay? Man, this is good. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, the family of God. Isn't that good? And because God is a king, his family is a royal family. You know, why is it that we here in America are so obsessed with all the activities of the royal family over in Great Britain? I mean, you know, the, the news and the tabloids are full of their, everything they do. You know, Prince Harry can't even, like, brush his teeth, you know, without somebody taking a picture of that. And then when he goes and does something really off the wall, you know, I mean, and everybody knows about it. Why is it that people are so obsessed with royal families? Could it be that our creator God, the king, has put that within us, that we want to be part of royalty? And through the gospel, he has made this possible for everyone. And you thought that accepting Jesus Christ into your life meant that you were going to get your sins forgiven. And that is so true, and it's wonderful. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. You see, since Jesus is a king, and since God has always wanted a royal family, then those who bow their knee to the king get adopted into the royal family. I mean, this is good stuff. I didn't make this up. It's right like in the Bible. Man, that's why adoption is such a beautiful picture of the gospel. See, we weren't born into the royal family. We got adopted into the royal family through our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So if Jesus is your Lord and Savior today, if he's your Lord and Savior, then you are royalty. Now, don't go bopping into work tomorrow with a crown and a robe and your co-workers are like say what but it is the truest truth about you even if the people at work don't view you that way even if that's not the message you got growing up it's true about you if you're in christ you're royalty royalty so the announcement of the kingdom's arrival means that god through his son is adding new members to his royal family and all who believe in Christ are adopted in forever. So are you in? I mean, are you in? Don't miss out on that. And then think about this, another reason that the coming of the kingdom is good news. Third, it means this, that lovingly serving the needs of the royal family is now the privilege of every member. Ah, this is good. Galatians 6.10, let's read this out loud together also. So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith. That's the royal family. So God is saying, uh, you're in my royal family, so I want you to do good to everyone. I want you to spread my kingdom values to everybody, but especially the family. Especially the royal family. See that? Especially the household of faith. So believers now have the royal privilege of serving other members of, king, of the king's family, and you thought you were just changing diapers in the nursery. You thought you were just listening to Awana verses on Wednesday night. You thought you were just teaching Sunday school or working in the zone or serving as an usher or a greeter. No, 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 no. It's so much more than that. You have the high and holy calling of serving other members of the royal family so that they thrive and so that they enjoy 
the good reign and rule of their king. Does this make sense? It's a beautiful thing. You as a believer in Jesus have been given the holy privilege of serving your brothers and sisters so that they feel special, like part of the greatest family ever. Because that's what it is. Some of you grew up in families that weren't... How many of you grew up in families that were less than perfect? Less than perfect, okay. (laughs) How about far from perfect? (laughs) Many, many, many people. But you know what? I love this motif of the family, don't you? We're a family. This royal reality is stated in many places in the Bible, but here's another one. Let's read this together. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, and whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now that word dominion, that's a kingship word, isn't it? You're in the royal family, he's saying. So serve the needs of the family. It's a great privilege to be able to do so. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So can I ask you a question? Who are you serving in the royal family? Who are you serving? Who are you laying down your life for so that they'll thrive in the kingdom and and feel the joy of the reign of the king? You know, every weekend in our worship folder, we post several key needs of the family, this family, this New Life Church family. And you know, when you look in there and you read those, right now there's, there's areas in children's ministries and our, our zone ministry, on when, get this, Wednesday night, middle schoolers come here. Middle schoolers! They need a lot, but they need, <laughs> and I was one and so were you, right? We remember those days. A good percentage of those middle schoolers that come on Wednesday night to the zone didn't, aren't being raised in families that talk about King Jesus and salvation. We need family members of this royal family to step up and say, I'll, I'll take a group of those kids under my wing and talk to them about Jesus. I'll put up with some middle school behavior and stuff to do that. Who are you serving? Don't miss out on the joy of serving others in the family. Ah, the kingdom of God is good news. One last thing. The king's arrival and his kingship is good news because number four, it means that being royal ambassadors to our neighbors is now the privileged commission of all kingdom citizens. Yeah. Read this with me, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Read it out loud. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You see, not only are believers adopted into the royal family, but we've also been commissioned as ambassadors of the king. Remember last week we talked about being kingdom outposts and embassies of grace? And we're watching the news, we're learning a lot about embassies these days, aren't we? What do ambassadors do? Well, ambassadors represent 
the king's reign to those who live around us. We represent him in this kingdom of God. We spread kingdom culture so that people outside the kingdom will experience that and start to say, you know what, I want to live under that king. I want to live under the king that you're always talking about, King Jesus. Wouldn't we love for the people we know to know and love our king? Problem is, so many people haven't seen enough real royal family life to want it. What they have seen are other things from Christians. Judgment, condemnation, arrogance, hypocrisy, stuff like that. But what if they saw grace? What if they felt love? What if they encountered compassion coming from us? What if we didn't act and talk like we earned our way into God's good graces, but instead expressed humility and gratefulness and love because we know we didn't and never could? Wouldn't that make a difference? Beyond that, what if we also prayed for and looked for and seized every opportunity set in front of us to speak about our King, Jesus. Not our politics, not our moral stances. I mean, those things are okay, and, and those things can lead, right, to conversations about our King, but so often we stop short, don't we? And people can get this idea that Christianity is all about those things when it's really about the King, King Jesus and His reign you believe that everybody deserves, or that King Jesus deserves everyone's devotion and worship? I do. He's that good. Jesus is that good. And the kingdom doors, thank God, are still open to all who will see him for who he is and submit their hearts to the reign of Jesus. Well, I don't know about you, but since starting to study the kingdom of God, here's what my thoughts have been. Jesus' work on the cross accomplished more than I thought. More than I thought. The gospel is more than I thought. Jesus is more than I thought. And salvation is certainly more than I thought and probably more than any of us thought. Well, there's lots more to learn about the king and about his kingdom. And I hope you'll stay with us as we track through this. I want to leave you with four response questions as we prepare to respond to God's word. One is this, are you in the royal family? Have you ever come to a point in your life where you saw Jesus for who he really is and you saw your sin for what it really is and you realized, I need a savior king or I'm in trouble. Amen. And you bowed your knee to Jesus Christ and you turned from your sin and selfishness and embraced Jesus as your only hope to ever be right with God. And you were saved, born again. Are you in the royal family? If you're not sure of that, I, I hope that in the next few moments you'll come and come to one of our prayer partners and ask them to guide you into knowing for sure that that's where you stand with God. Second question, are you enjoying life in the family? Are you enjoying it? You know, this week I, I lost my joy a little bit. That ever happened to you? I let some things, some circumstances, and yes, even some people rob my joy and then I got mad about that. It's like, doggone it. <laughs> the joy of the Lord is my strength. I need His joy. There's great joy in the family of God, the royal family. Are you enjoying life? 
Have you let robbers come in and steal your joy away? How about this? Are you serving the needs of the family? Are you, are you engaged? Are you serving? Can you point to a ministry, regular, ongoing ministry that you serve week in and week out so that others can thrive in the, in the family of God? That's a key question. You're not going to experience everything God has for you until you're using those gifts that we read about earlier and using them to serve and bless others so that they're thriving and feeling special in the family of God. And then lastly, are you representing our king well to those around you so that they want to live under his gracious rule like you do? So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that... um, you would cause the message of your kingship to sink deep into our hearts, that we would live under your gracious rule. Lord, even now, as we seek to respond to what we've heard, Lord, I pray that you would touch our hearts and hone in on that that perhaps single message or, or single point of conviction or single aspect of obedience that you're calling us to. And may each of us say yes to the king, yes to you, Jesus. Give us your grace to do that. We worship you now. You are worth our whole lives. Pray this in Christ's name.